Good morning, church. Um, Dale asked me to come this morning just briefly and and share a word about uh, our trip to Africa. I know he, he spoke on that last week probably a great deal, and so I'm not going to take too much of your time, uh, and we'll pray for our country of Slovenia too. But first, I just want to say thank you to the church uh, for a multitude of reasons, just for opportunities that uh, I've been blessed with that otherwise I wouldn't have been blessed with uh, if it wasn't for your generosity. Um, you know, these trips are, are just an example, but even opportunities for school and uh, opportunities for, you know, last week I was at Meridian Baptist with opportunity to preach there. And uh, it would be quite easy for, for a church body to say, no, you need to be here. And that's never been said or mentioned. And so I have opportunities to teach other places. And, you know, I'm just trying to be faithful to what God's preparing for me to do, whatever that is. And, and I want to say thank you to you for that. And just the financial blessing of obviously this was a big financial deal going to Africa. This is a long, stinking way. It costs a lot of money to go that far. And uh, just opportunities that I wouldn't have if it wasn't for your generosity. So I want to thank you for your prayers as we were gone and just thank you for your finances in making that trip happen. I don't know if people know this, but so every Major League Baseball team has an advanced scout team. And what they do is they basically, whoever we're going to play next, they've got a core group of guys that go and they scout that team before they come into town and play, for example, the Braves. So whoever the Braves are going to play next, they've got a scout team that are scouting the next team before they come in and they're doing all the scout work and they're preparing the game plan for when the team comes in. And I've always thought that that would be a really stinking cool job to have. And uh, that has never come to fruition. But in a way, God did bless me with the opportunity to be an advanced scout because that's basically what we did in Africa. It just wasn't on behalf of Major League Baseball. But we were, we were advanced scouts going out, basically just surveying the scene to see how can our church come in and minister to these people? Is it feasible to to bring more people on a slightly larger trip and to just to minister to the people both in the city and in the villages. And I think that we had devised a plan to do that. And so God willing, maybe sometime next summer or early fall, that may come to fruition. And uh, I just want to challenge you as a church to be open to that. I'm not telling you that that's something that you need to do. I'm not telling you that God's telling you to do it. All I'm telling you is be open to allowing God to use you however he sees fit. Don't automatically close the door because I don't have any business going to Africa. I don't want to go that far or I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. Just be open to it and pray. God, if that's what you want me to do, then open that door. And if it's not, then show me how I can serve others who you open that door to. Um, but just just talking a little bit just briefly about the trip, uh, I wanted to read Psalm 32, 8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So that scripture tells us that God is a teacher. And so as, as often happens on, on trips like these or just in your everyday life, God is always moving and he's always teaching whether you recognize it or not. And so we obviously were prepared to go and, and to teach the people there in Lusaka, Zambia. And, and we prepared, and, and God had been working behind the scenes as, as we had been going through a study on the book of Hebrews. And, and so we go to them with a plan to teach on faith and to encourage them as believers. And, but, but all through that process, God also provided opportunities for us to be taught. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me, that, that God was speaking to me and God was speaking to Dale, was just the, the pure humility service and joy that was demonstrated by those people um it's hard to put into words because i know i saw it and, and you didn't have the opportunity to see it but 
Their worship was purely joyful, with very limited resources, uh, especially when they sang. I mean, it was just pure joy from the heart worship. And then as we were there, just all the multitude of ways that I saw them, them humbly, not just serve, humbly serve in ways that I had never seen before. Um, I don't know if Dale mentioned this last week. Just one small example was but before someone would come up to teach, a, a deacon would come and grab your Bible and your material, and he would carry it up to the pulpit. Like, he would not allow you to carry it up there. Um, we saw ladies that, that worked extremely hard preparing food. Uh, we saw ladies that served food in a very humble fashion. One lady basically laid prone on the ground and, and offered a plate to somebody that was in a role of authority uh, in a local tribe. And it was just extremely humbling. Uh, every day in the home, you know, when we had the opportunity to bathe, you know, they had to go get water. They would bring water. They would change water out. Um, I mean, my wife knows this is true about me, but I guarantee you that I would wash my hands more times in Zambia than I have in my entire life. Not by choice, because they would bring a bowl by it before every meal, and they would wash your hands. Like, I didn't even wash them. They would wash them. I was like, these are the most hand-washing people I've ever been around. But, but it, it wasn't so much about the hand-washing. It was about they were there to serve us. Uh, even when they presented the gifts to us. I mean, that was a difficult situation for me to be in because it was awkward. It was, they, they were so service-oriented to the point that it was awkward for, for me as an American. I've never seen that before. And I'm, and I'm standing there knowing completely and fully who I am, knowing that I'm, I'm not even close to worthy of what these people are, are presenting. Uh, but they were truly humble about to the point as humble as you could possibly be and their goal was to serve us because they viewed us as gifts from God to them uh, so their service wasn't so much oriented towards us but it was oriented towards God because they recognized that he's the one that sent us there and so they were being faithful to him and, and it was a form of worship in a sense because it was to him not to us um, it says in Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 15 it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only, to, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. In America, we're, we're really high on that word, freedom. And, you know, we have a lot of freedom in Christ. But it says specifically, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but use your freedom through love to serve one another. And so, you know, I want to challenge us as a church to, to do that more. Again, it's very easy for me to come back and to have seen that, and it obviously had an effect on me, and you didn't have an opportunity to see it. But I know that that's one area that we're, we're moving towards in teaching. And, and just, like, be open to what God can do in your life in terms of mission. Be open to what God can show you in terms of service. You know, we have so many freedoms, but... Do we use those freedoms in an appropriate manner? Um, are we too conceited? Are we too selfish? I know that I am. And if you if you listen to that hymn, I, I think that's the key. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim. The things of the world are not going to grow dim because I want them to. They're only going to grow dim if I choose to place my focus on Christ. And so as a church, is that, is that what we're doing? Or are we too focused on what I'm doing, what's in it for me? 
I mean, that's human nature, but human nature is sinful, and we're called to be set apart and be different. And so I just want to challenge you. I know that I saw it. It was very, it was very humbling and, and a blessing to me. And I pray that what we saw we can bring back uh, so that you can see it too by our actions. But, you know, as we teach on service and we teach on humility, just be open to, to what God has in that uh, to you. So let's, let's play for our country of Slovenia. And, and we'll hear the word this morning. Lord, we, we come before you this morning, and we just thank you for all the blessings that you've given us, Lord. But I pray that those blessings don't supersede you, that we would place our eyes on you and humbly serve one another. And Lord, I lift up this country of Slovenia and, and all the nations around the world, Lord, that they would turn their face to you. I pray that for our own nation, that we would seek you first. Um, there are so many people in the world that are lost, Lord, and, and I pray that you would open doors for this church to minister to those people, both locally and abroad. And I pray that we would be faithful in that, Lord, in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And I know I didn't ask uh, Abby, Abby stand there for just a second. I didn't ask Abby Miller to, to uh, I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but uh, can we give her a hand? She does a lot of work for our young people and takes the time out to do that. And also for Warren. He really is, he makes it possible. Thank you, Abby, and thank you for what you're doing there. Um, thank you for uh, the work that you're doing, honey. I appreciate it. It allows us to be able to worship more fully because you're keeping an eye on the whippersnappers there. One thing that they were really, really diligent about is, man, recognizing everybody for everything. And, um, and we, we probably don't give recognition where we should. So, uh, so uh, we're, we are talking about serving. I think we're going to have another week on deacons after this. Tony's giving me the eye, like, am I messing up, sir? I haven't messed up yet. He's got the, he's got the, the warrant eye on me, so if I, if I get off track, warrant, Tony will keep me straight. But as I mentioned last week, like I said, we're going to start teaching on serving, and, um, and I want to teach on the deacon body for the next couple weeks and, um, and, and help you to kind of see what their purpose is and their function in our fellowship and see if we're applying these things correctly in our body. Um, the thing about our body here at Plant Grow Harvest is it's a relatively young fellowship. And uh, we're probably doing some things we shouldn't be doing, and, and we're not doing some of the things we should be doing. And so in that, what we have going on, it's a good thing. It's a good problem to have. It's very New Testament church. They're trying to figure out the correct way to follow Christ as it's this, as it's this new thing that's being taught to them. And so I know that some of the people that are here, maybe this is the, maybe you're coming here with kind of that kindergarten, you're a new, new enough believer, young enough in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the word of God that you don't really have full understanding of everything. And then on the other hand, we got some people who've been in church their whole life or maybe been to seminary or, or, or beyond like, uh, like Pastor Tony, a lot of personal experience in um, observing the word and doing the work of mission. We had Bruce, our missionary, one of our missionary guys just wandered in there. Um, you got a guy that's done a lot of mission work, so maybe you feel like, well, maybe he hears, maybe Tony hears, and he's like, man, I've heard all this stuff before. So you got kindergartens, you got college seniors in here, master's degree guys, doctorates in here, in the same room. And somewhere in between, I want to try and bring the word together today so that we can all grow by hearing it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We hear God's word. It develops us as a believer. It makes us complete. Tony was talking about this morning thoroughly equipped, fully mature for every good work. So it makes us more usable in the function that God has for us as servants and so on. 
So, like I said, uh, last week, I know I went long. I just, God poured a lot on me, and I was trying to get it all out about, about that and uh, about the trip and also, but about the people that, I, that were here. A lot of times when I, when I speak, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it's true for Jed, too. I think I've talked to him about it before, Dave, maybe, too. But a lot of times when I speak, I couldn't really tell you exactly what I said. And somebody will say, man, when you said X and so, and I'm like, I said that today? <laughs> well, I didn't mean to say that. But what I meant to say was, you know, but anyway, I believe that's the God, God, the Holy Spirit, working through us. A lot of times afterwards, I'm kind of empty. And, uh, and by empty, I mean I've, I've poured it out for you, but it, it's not from me. If I come up here and I tell you from me, and it's not from God, you're not going to grow, I'm not going to grow. It's got to be by the Holy Spirit working through me, working through Jed, working through Dave or Tony or whoever's speaking. It's got to work through there, and then it can prick, you heart, prick your heart. If not, maybe my will, maybe I'm a powerful enough speaker. I mean, Hitler was a powerful speaker. He had a strong will, a strong willpower. I mean, uh, and he was able to get people to do things by his will. We don't want to accomplish things at Plant Grow Harvest by the will of me or the will of Jed or anyone else. We want it to be by God's will, by the work of the Holy Spirit through us. And then you hear it and you process it and it comes back out, fills you up, and it overflows out of you onto the other people around. That's the goal. So, like I said, we're all at different levels of learning. So if it's, if it's too boring for you today, sorry. And if it's too hard for you today, come ask us and we'll, we'll try to help you develop that thinking, kind of help you get where you need to be on that. And so the, last, the, the focus over the last month, and it's been on Wednesday nights as well as uh, Sunday mornings, so you're welcome to come Wednesday night. I wish you would. We do spend a, a good time, at least 20 to 30 minutes, um, uh, generally on Wednesday nights praying, but, but we also spend time in the Word because the development of the Word in our lives is what helps us to be complete equipped for every good work. So we're working on that, and we're actually working in Philippians. So I want to go to Philippians, just two little verses there. We're talking about deacons, but we're talking about servants. Now, I want to tell you that we do have deacons here at Plant Grow Harvest that they kind of act as our elders slash deacons. We have elders too. Tony's one of our elders, myself. Um, and we actually have a, a secular board as well. We have to have a secular board as by law to be a, um, what are we, sir? We are a, yeah, but we're actually a uh, corporation. Yeah, thank you. We're actually a corporation. We actually have a secular board, so to speak, that the state requires, that the federal requires, for us to do business as a church. So on the secular board, I couldn't tell you who the board members are. I know Amy and Sarah are treasurer and secretary or something, and then Tony or me or someone else is the president. I can't tell you which one it is. But one of us is the president. So if it comes down to it, by presidential decree, we'll be in big trouble because we're not really sure who the president is. Because that's not how we really do business. That's a mechanical thing that we need in order to be legal to do business with the state. But as a body of believers, we work with the pastors and the deacons, the deacon body, and that's how we make decisions. That's how we uh, uh, pray. That's how we legislate. That's how we make decisions. That's how we decide what we're going to do next and whatever. And so, but every person in here was given by God a spiritual gift and every one of you has the gift of minister of the gospel every one of you and so there's there's a kind of a mediator uh, of sorts in the deacon body that goes between the general ministers of the gospel the body and the pastor the leadership of the minister so there's something in between there's a mediator of sorts in the deacon body and I want you to see that today but I want to talk to you about 
serving personally first because there's nothing that the deacons do that you cannot do there's not a single thing that the deacons do that you cannot do as far as ministry and i want you to see that today okay so look at philippians 1 1 and 2 it's two little simple verses doesn't look like there's a lot there but there's a key word i want you to see paul and timothy are we there philippians 1 paul and timothy bond servants of jesus christ to all the saints in christ jesus who are in philippi with the bishops and the deacons if we read it from the King James, it reads almost identically, except the word bondservant says servants. If you read it from any other translation, get what you got there, big man, Jed. What does it say? What does it say in verse 1? Okay. What, uh, what about NIV 1? Who's the NIV person? Huh? Servants. Okay. So... I don't want to get into correcting what God's Word says in front of you. But I'm going to tell you that this was translated by men from the original languages of Greek and Hebrew, in this particular case, Greek. When they translated it from Greek, the word was a lot stronger word than servant. And this is what I want you to understand today. If you don't catch anything else, catch this. D-O-U-L-O-U-S or something. Du huh? Doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S, right? Something like that, right? It means slave. So we got this generation of people that printed this, that wrote this out by command of King James or whatever, and they sat down and they said, the word slave is an ugly word. Because a slave, he's at the mercy of the master. But in that culture, there was still slavery that was visible and active you could have seen. And they were a, a very low class, very class-structured bunch of people, and they're, they're taking it from the Greek, and they're like, well, what about a servant? I mean, a servant is a nicer word, you know. But a servant, you know, we know what a servant is. A servant like a maid or, a, or the, the person on the airplane that brings you your, your thing, you know, brings you your Coke or whatever and tells you to put your seatbelt on. They're serving. They're bringing you coffee and snacks or whatever. The, or whatever, the person that serves you at the movie, those are servants. They're paid to do a job. A slave is a different role than a servant. Every time, this is interesting, about 150 times in the New Testament, every time you see the word servant, take your pen and scratch it out and write slave every time it says that you are once slaves to sin that's one of the few places in the bible was is with that scripture right there where it actually says slaves to sin no longer now you're slaves to christ but everywhere else they use the word servant when they use the word servant they're using the wrong word it gives you a sense of entitlement that you do not actually possess so if i read that correctly it would say Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So, the truth of the Word of God is the better way to go in that. The actual translation, translated word slave is the stronger word. And I wanted to show you this. If you want to go to Acts 4.29, or you can uh, underline that, or write it down if you want to use it later. It says, and now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your slaves to speak your word with all boldness. Slave. Those are those guys. They've already been tormented. They've already been arrested. They've been freed. Whatever. And they get back and they say, well, we're your slaves. And we were talking about this morning. Tony was telling us about being held fast by the Lord. Held fast. What does it mean to be held fast? And it's that, that picture of the, the father walking across the parking lot with their child at Walmart. And he's got his, their little hand in his hand. And the little kid's pulling away. But you got him fast. There's no way that kid is escaping 
because he's in danger if he escapes. You hold him fast. It's the chain around the believer's neck that's held fast to the hand of Christ. And we don't like to use the word slave in this culture, especially in all that's attributed to it in the past history of the United States and whatever you want to say. But I'm telling you, that's the word we need to be using. Not only slaves to Christ, but slaves to one another. It makes a whole new mindset. It gives you a whole new vision of what our purpose is as the body of Christ if we're slaves to one another. That means I have control over you. That means you have control over me. We don't like that. We like the freedom word. I'm free. I'm a free man. You can't tell me what to do. But the fact of the matter is, as a body of Christ, you belong to me. As a body of Christ, I belong to you. And we belong to each other. That way, the things that you do affect me and the things that I do affect you. And in that, as the body of Christ, and Christ being the head, well, then he has the effect on all of us of what we do, what we say, how we act, how we react, how we respond when someone speaks to us, a fellow slave. If we're all slaves, and we all got the chain around our neck, and the shackles on our hands, and the shackles on our feet, and Christ is holding the chain, then who are you to judge me? And who am I to judge you? We're all with the shackle around our neck. It's a harsh word. That word slave is a harsh word. The slave is purchased. He's, all, he's purchased. He could be passed on generationally, but in general, he's purchased. He's purchased. The Bible says we were purchased from the slave market of sin. You're a slave. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ, but you're a slave. Either way, you're owned. So you're purchased, you're acquired, you're owned by a master. You serve at his discretion. And a slave obeys and serves as the master directs. It's really hard. <laughs> That's a tough word, man. It, it, it has to change the way a man thinks when he reads God's word and God says, I own you. He made you. Fearfully and wonderfully, he made you. He knew you before, before the foundation. He created you. He chose you. But he owns you. If he owns you, that means he can direct you. In the, it's just like you have a donkey or cattle and you direct the cattle, the cattle don't direct you. Man, Dave, you got to tell the chicken story, man. Can I tell the story? I don't want to tell the story. <laughs> Dave, we had this. I know some of you heard the story. This is in Zambia. So they, we go to the jungle. This is totally off track. This, this is a rabbit trail. Sorry. So we go to the jungle. We preach. They want to give something. They give something to the pastor. They give us four, I mean, straight up yard birds in a bag, in a, in a Walmart bag, like a Walmart bag, live I mean yard birds. They're, they're like the kind of bird you killed in the yard, and then when you skin it out, the drumstick's like as big around as a 50-cent piece. It's not that much meat on it. Like big old long bone, little bitty piece of meat. I mean yard birds. And they got them in this bag, and just their head sticking out, and we put them all in the trunk of the car, we drive back. Dave didn't know they were back there. So I got this. Uh, so we're unloading the car. I got the, I got the chicken in the bag. We're carrying it in the house. So we had to transform a couple hours. I go, here, Dave, hold this bag I got up about right here. And it's right in his face. He's like, it's getting dark. He's like, ah, my God, the chicken, you know. Dave makes a run for the border. He don't know what's going on, you know, kind of darts around the truck. He comes back just, I thought he'd be mad. He was dying laughing. So the next day, the next day we're preaching. Dave's, Dave's, Dave's turning the barrel or whatever. And he starts telling that story. And all the people could complain. I mean, we don't relate to me giving Jed a gift. Hey, thanks for preaching this morning. Have a chicken in a bag. You know what I'm saying? We just don't do stuff that way. But so, so these people could completely relate that as a way of paying for the services rendered of preaching, you received a chicken. So you got your meal for the next day or whatever. 
And Dave said, you know, they're all laughing about the chicken and assaulting Dave in the dark and whatever. And then he said, you know what? He said, the Christian life is like this. He said, the chicken, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, uh, the chicken was not released from the bag, allowed to walk around the backyard and then dictate to the wife there um, when he goes in the pot. I'm not getting in the pot today. I don't feel like getting killed today, and I don't feel like being bold today, and I'm not getting in the pot. The people are like, amen, 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 amen. They're all like total identification. And Dave just, he practically yells. He goes, you're that chicken. And they start screaming and going, I'm serious. They start doing the, like we're fixing to get shot with AK sound, you know, like you see on TV or whatever. They start doing that sound, and they're, they got it. You're the chicken. You don't tell God when to put you in the pot. He puts you in the pot. He's the one that skins you out. <laughs> Carrington gets it. Man, I love you, Carrington. You always get my jokes. I appreciate it. God bless you, baby. Um, you're the chicken. But we, we're, you're the slave. The only thing sticking out of the bag is your head, and, and he's carrying you around. And he's like, time to get in the pot, son. And you have no say over the thing. And Dave tells it better, but I'm telling you, it was good. You should have, I mean, they screamed. They were yelling. They were amen. They were jumping out of their chairs when he said, you're that chicken. He yelled it, man. They were like, I'm the chicken. You know, they, they got it, you know. It was wild. And you got to talk to people where they're at, you know. But anyway, so the slave has no say in the matter of how the master uses him. The only way you have any say whatsoever is if you have proven your loyalty by being a loyal slave over a long period of time to the master. Then you might become the house slave. Then you might could say, uh, like, um, like Ezekiel, Lord, please don't make me eat that bread that was cooked over that, that filthy fire. He says, okay, I'm going to let you make it out of cow dung. That's the only way. He had proved himself as a faithful slave over a long period of time, and so, and so God hears him. So Paul and Timothy and the early church saw themselves in this kind of relationship with the Messiah. And I don't think, I'm not judging you and I'm not beating you up, but I'm telling you, often, or nowadays, I don't think we see ourselves in that way because if we did, we would operate differently. If we saw ourselves in the position of slaves to Christ, we probably wouldn't do the things that we do in our own flesh. I want to do this on this day in this way because it's my life and I do what I want to do. But a slave doesn't get to do that. The slave of Christ has no motive of existence other than to serve Christ or to obey his commands. The slave of Christ is owned fully by Christ. His individual right to do as he pleases no longer exists outside of Christ's ownership. The slave of Christ serves only as he is called, and his purpose in existence is defined by Christ. No matter the day of hour or hour, you're at Christ's call. Tony was telling me this years ago, you know, he was in the bed and he was just jolted awake two or three in the morning. And, you know, he's like, you're supposed to go pray right now. And he went down in his kitchen and, and began to pray. That's what the slave does. And you know what? The slave doesn't get no extra cookie for doing the, word, the work of the master, the word of the master. The master says you do this, and you can expect no additional pay, no additional accolades, nothing. Because you're the slave, and he owns you. So you do what he says. The will of the slave is only to do his master's will, so... To proclaim yourself a slave to Christ is to willingly give up any personal rights and allow him to define you and to care for you. Here's the thing about the slave. Different from the servant. The servant comes to work, he does his job, and he goes home. The slave is owned by the master. The master provides his food, he provides his clothes, and he provides his lodging. 
And more than that, if we read the Lord's Prayer, we see that that's all we're due. That's all we're due. We want more. We desire more. But truly, all we're due is what the Master provides for us. We just grasp at more. But the good slave, he's obedient no matter what. These, you know, if we had a fickle slave master man that was in charge of us, it would be terrifying to be a slave. You're at his mercy. I mean, you look at, at how they treated the slaves, and, you know, um, I don't want to go into detail. We've got too many little kids, but y- you were just at their mercy. They used you. They used the women how they used them. They used the men how they used them. They separated families. They did what they wanted, sold them off, traded them off, whatever. Christ is not that kind of master. If you're his, you're his. It's really a... Um, if you're truly saved, if you've accepted Christ and you're walking in faith, following Christ, the part where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, you can really hold on to that as a slave of Christ. He owns you. He's got a hold of you. No one shall be able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one, and you're a someone. You can't even snatch yourself out of his hand because he, he's holding the chain. He owns you. Therefore, it should be seen as an honor to serve this kind of master and to obey at his good graces. Just whatever he tells you to do, that's what we're doing. He makes the call, and we in obedience do that. This gift of service to one another comes out of this obedience in slavery to Christ. If you can see yourself as an equal slave to myself, as an equal slave to Dave or to any one of these children in here or to any other person in this place, you can really reduce that arrogance and pride that's, that's eaten at your heart all the time. It really does. I mean, I, I mean, how many of you, don't have to raise your hand, have looked at someone else like, man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. What a loser. Man, he's a slave. Well, guess what? You're a slave. He was made of dirt. Guess what? You were made of dirt. When you die, the worms are going to eat him, and they're going to eat you too. You're a slave. You're of the same material. But our arrogance, we place ourselves as, I'm the higher slave. Nah, man, you're just a slave. (laughs) You're just another slave is all you are. I'm unique. No, you're not. You're another slave. If you're called to do the work of the slave, man, do the work. So the chief slave, besides the pastor, how about the under slave? Well, you got the pastor slave, you got the deacon slave. Let's talk about that poor guy for a minute. The deacon, as a slave to the body of Christ, first appears, we first kind of see him come on the scene in Acts chapter 6. So we're going to go to Acts 6 and read out of that for a moment, see what time it is. I told myself I would try to quick it, keep it quick and dirty so we didn't have what happened last week, people falling asleep and children running amok. <laughs> Seven men mentioned as the first deacons. They're not called deacons here, but they're the first deacons. Why in the world would they choose seven? You ever think about that? It's always about sevens in this book. Perfect number. Acts chapter 6. Are we there? Acts 6, verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, those Bible-believing people, they had understood that Christ was in fact the Messiah, and that's why they were called disciples. And they were disciples because they were growing, learning all these things that had been taught them that Christ had taught his disciples. So he's passing it on to them. The disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, 
whom we may appoint over this business, and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. If you look at these men, they were chosen in a specific way. They chose a perfect number of them, seven, but really from here, you only get to hear of uh, Philip and Stephen ever after this. Uh, I did read that one of these guys, uh, which one was it, Prochorus maybe? One of these may have been the, the guy that helped uh, uh, the prophet John write some of the books. He may have been his scribe. But outside of that, we don't really hear about these other guys, and that's how the deacon business is. It's pretty dadgum humble, and it's pretty dadgum invisible. You're serving, but we'll get to that. So these men had a, um, these men were, I hate to use the word notorious, but usually notorious is negative, but these guys were notoriously known. They were famously known for being good, for being just, for being faithful, for being knowledgeable in the word, uh, for being full of the Holy Spirit and being full of wisdom. These are the kind of guys that you want to be your deacons, and that's who they chose. And if you look at it, look what they immediately came into. If you go to the next chapter, you see Stephen gets put before the firing squad and is eventually stoned to death because of his ability as a deacon so so these men had a special fire on them as the body saw these guys like the body as a whole looked at this bunch of people the disciples looked at them these 12 uh, original disciples of christ they looked at them and said these are special guys so the body whole looks and then and then the body as a whole looks at them and says yes in fact as we've seen these guys in our community as we've seen them deal with people the poor and the wealthy and the and the downtrodden and the good they're good at business they're good at this and that and they're spreading the word of the gospel these are guys we could accept these people in authority over us or in authority alongside us and so the people recognize them as good men and um and uh, the body recognized them as good men the disciples recognize them as good men and this is the thing the deacon in this case and in our case the deacon doesn't do work that other people can't do anyone can do the work of a deacon they may not be called a deacon but anyone can be do the work of a deacon if we're going to look at what the deacon does as far as work but but the duties that he does is the duties that he recognizes in himself that he is not above any duty there's no woman's work that he's above there's no children's work that he's above there's no cleaning work that he's above there's no carrying work that he's above there's no administrative work that he's above there's all those things are just what he does he's a slave so he's a slave to christ and he's a slave to the body of christ just like christ was and he works in that example of christ christ says he came to serve and not to be served this is the mindset of the deacon mr deacon should have this mindset I come to serve and not to be served so in Acts 6 we can see the work of the deacon It's described first of all to free the ministers verse 4 we will give ourselves let's see therefore brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation whom we may appoint over this business this business of caring for the people and we but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word we'll develop these in just a second the second one is to promote church harmony verse 1 
Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, a complaint rises up. Deacon swoops in there. He quells the complaint. Welfare of the membership. This is the third thing. And like I said, we'll go back to these. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, fully the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, care of the body, to be a more effective witness. This is the next thing, number four. Verse seven, it says, The word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, you could say even, were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some of what was called from the synagogue of the freedmen, and those from this other area, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. He knew the word. And then the last thing was strong leadership, three, three to six. Uh, let's see here. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. They were known, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we appoint over this business. Uh, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose these group of men. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The first thing they did. So when all these men of God were put into play, it says, when they began to do this work, it says that the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. When the men of God that are called, set apart for this special work of slavery begin to act like the slaves that they are to the rest of the body, the body of Christ begins to grow. And more people are drawn to Christ by their witness. By being a better slave, more people come to Christ. Uh, you know, some churches, I'm going to step on a toe right here. Some churches have female deacons. We do not. And there's a reason. I was really kind of reasoning this out, Tony, as I was thinking about it. And, and uh, Dave, I know it's something going on that he's dealing with. Um, my, my, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. They, well, she's doing this work of serving. She's a deacon. But it's called out right here as we first identify these people. And if we go to uh, you know, 1 Timothy and Titus where deacons are also men mentioned, um, you will see that they're always men. And I think this is what's going on. This is, a new, this is a new world, brave new world that Dale's fixing to speak into, but I'm going to say it. Women by nature tend to be servants. From the moment they're born, you watch girls, they will serve boys. When they become mothers, they will serve their children till death. They will give everything that they are. They will quit all the fun hobbies that they used to have and become mother rather than fun playmate to husband. They are servants. They will serve their husband. They will serve their children. It is not in man, in a man in general, to serve. It has to be trained in a man by a good wife. She breaks him down and she says, you need to be serving. You need to be helping wash the dishes. You need to be helping clean the table. You need to be helping make the bed. You need to be helping haul the laundry or whatever. It's not in a man. For God to call a man to be a slave to other people is a very humbling thing. And it's what men need. And that's what's going on. And you can agree or disagree to what I said right there, but I'm telling you, God works differently than men. We can't use cultural norms and ideals to say what the Bible says about things. We need to use the Bible and identify false things in the culture, and we need to live set apart. And if he calls men to serve the body, then men need to humble themselves and serve the body. He's making a picture 
Christ was not a woman. He called a man, the man Christ Jesus, to die on the cross, to serve the nations. He didn't call a woman. Yes, Mary produced the Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit on her, but he didn't call her to go to the cross. He called the man, Christ Jesus, to die on the cross. So Christ goes to the cross, and he serves the nation. He served you. He became a slave so that you could live. So, saying that, the first opportunity of the male deacon was to free the ministers to do the work of ministry. If you look at it, you will see that these these pastors, these disciples, this first group of, of disciples, and the reason they're pastors is because they were with the master. They were there. So he was able to say, this is what we do. This is how we're going to do it. Now, when I die, I want you guys to keep doing what I was doing. And they say, okay. And so they're the only reference these people have to go back. Yeah, he was with Christ, and Christ told us to do it this way. Okay, Peter, you're the boss. You tell us what to do. That's what we'll do. Well, we need some help in this ministry because it's getting so big. So many people are coming to the gospel that we need help in this. But I got to keep preaching the word because I was with the master. But I need help dealing with these people. What you got there is you got some Greeks and you got some Hebrews in the same fellowship. Hebrews tended to help the Hebrews, Greeks helping the Greeks. And they're saying, listen, we're the body of Christ, all equally slaves, all got the chain on our neck. But I'm going to get this group of good men and they're going to care for these things so that these aren't the issues that the pastor has to deal with he's got men that have come alongside and their desire is to grow in the word their desire is to serve the body and their desire is to do these other things it's a humbling thing for them so the pastor was already doing those things he was serving he was promoting church harmony he was caring for the body he was evangelizing he was leading and now he has more faithful men we can see that in timothy too you know uh how's that go give it to other faithful men what's that verse jed uh, he, anyway faithful men say it dave say it that's right what you heard from me entrust to faithful men so faithful men heard it from the messiah sorry mine's one track right there and i was having trouble processing that one but um they heard it from the messiah they speak it to other faithful men Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. And, and then that faithful man tells other faithful men and other faithful men. And, so, and we do the same thing with the deacon body. Older guys that have been through that, maybe they were pastors, maybe they were deacons, they give it to the deacons. Those deacons begin to develop and grow as faithful men. They serve others. Other people see that. They look at that deacon and say, okay, someday I want to grow up and be just like Mr. Zach. Grow my big bushy beard and be all big and zackish and be a good servant to all the people in the fellowship and they're going to want to be that as well and 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 then so zach gives it to another faithful young man he mentors him draws him up disciples him brings him alongside and then he puts him in the deacon spot and zach retires no there's no retiring in the christian walk but anyway so that's what they do so remember uh jesus told peter tend my lambs that's what he's doing Peter's pastoring. That's what a pastor does. The, the word pastor it's, comes from the word pasture, where you got your sheep eating. You're guarding the sheep in the pasture. The sheep are eating the grass. You're keeping the wolves at bay. So he's giving it to the other men. So it frees, it frees the pastoral people to do the pastoral things. And it trains the deacons to begin to pastor as they see the pastor pastor. It's a good thing. So the body benefits. The body is safe in its fellowship because the deacons are keeping an eye on things. 
Uh, promote church harmony is the second thing. This can happen in any fellowship. It happens because we're people. And people do what people do. If you notice, the issue of murmuring had already crept into the church. Brand new church. And already you're getting more than I'm getting. I didn't get that much. And I wish I had what he had. I don't have that spiritual gift. I wish that, you know, so-and-so could sing like so-and-so. And I wish they didn't sing so much. I wish I could sing more and whatever. The same old thing goes on. It goes on in every church. I really like the Spanish word. It's really good. It's chismoso. Chismoso. And Pastor Elias was describing it to me one time. He says, it's like a rat chewing. You think about it, chismoso. That's what it is. That's, the, that's, what, that's what gossiping, maligning, that's what that is. It's chewing at the foundation of what supports stuff. You ever seen an old barn where there's old grain sacks and stuff, and those rats have been working? Man, they can, they can, eat, they can wear it down. There's people starving to death in India. More than 50% of their food is destroyed by rats every year of their grain crop because they won't kill the rat. That's the job of the deacon. Uh, Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining or disputing. We're not going to agree on how everything should go, but it should never be personal. The deacon hears of an issue, some, some dispute with what the pastor taught. He said that women are, uh, are servants by nature, and I don't agree with that, and I'm going to have my words. And the deacon hears that, and he goes out and he sets a rat trap and he kills the rat. He, he eliminates the chismoso before it gets out of control. He, he moves in and he keeps the peace in the fellowship. When a man becomes a deacon, hear me, deacons. When a man becomes a deacon, he gives up his right to take sides in a dispute in the fellowship. His only right is to care for the body as a whole and to keep the peace above all. His goal is to maintain the mind of Christ in the fellowship. That's what his goal has got to be. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the right. It's like the people that, that President Trump puts on his cabinet. If you don't agree with Trump, guess what? You're off the cabinet. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm saying that's how he does it. But as the deacon body, that's how it should be. There should be unity in that. That's why they're looked at beforehand and we talk to them and we say, you know, what you're thinking on this, what you're thinking on that. And we get on the same mindset. Okay, all these other things, how we do music, what time we have church, what do we have for food, how do we deal with the kid, all those things are nothing compared to keeping the unity of the body of Christ. And that's the goal and the mission of the deacon. As things get negative, maybe in a business meeting or something, a deacon should be the one that stands up and says, listen, this is not how it should be within the body of Christ. There should be unity of mindset and there should be peace with one another. It's up to the deacon to do that. The deacon should not live in fear of, well, what are people going to say about me? It's too bad. You're not a slave to them. You're a slave to Christ. And Christ says, keep the peace. We can't do things like that in this body. We're a dedicated body of, to Christ. So the next one is welfare of the body. I, I'm going to tell you that in this body of Christ, this is one of the things that the deacons do the best, in my opinion. You may be unaware of this, but... Uh, but uh, if there is a need financial, material, physical, emotional, or spiritual, and it's brought to the deacons, they're like, uh, uh, we got the money for that? Let's pay for it. And if they don't, I've seen it happen before. I've seen Zach and Pete and somebody else. and They were back there, and they're like, man, this happened in, in Guatemala, and man, we need like 800 bucks. And they just crack open their wallets and start forking out $100 bills. So if you need $100 bills, just know Zach's got a bunch of them. 
You can go get you one. But, but that's what they do. That's what a deacon does. He's the example of generosity in that to the body. But also he sees that the needs of the body are met. Um, it, it does, not, not everybody has to know about the emotional need of, some, uh, of a widow woman. Not everyone has to know about the physical need of a poor kid or, or, or whatever. The, if the deacon knows, the deacon can handle that. He can come to the deacon body and say, hey man, this, we need to bear down on this, pay for this, handle that, whatever. And that's what he does. And in that, it helps maintain the peace of the fellowship. When people feel slighted or demeaned, it's going to ratchet up the negative in the fellowship. And a deacon, as a peacemaker, as a carer for the welfare of the body, he goes over there and he handles that. It can be done. Actually, we do this very well. In this. You know what? If you look at uh, the life of Stephen right here, or the death of Stephen, you see that he gave his very life for the body. What he did is he actually takes the pressure off this body of believers. He's so adamant in his preaching and the work that he's doing that it like attracts the attention of the Pharisees, and they're like, we've got to shut this guy down. And so rather than the body as a whole being crushed, he goes out there and he goes stands before these people. He knows the gospel so well that when he stands before the Pharisees that he's just... He's just putting the hammer on them. Like uh, oh, <laughs> Keith always says, he pours the corn to them. He does. He puts it on them. And there's no denying that what he tells them is truth. And it says that when they hear it, they start gnashing their teeth. They're furious at the guy. And he's like, hey, it's the truth, man. Love it or leave it. <laughs> it's good. He protects the body. The more effective witness. I wanted to read this. Um, look how Stephen reacts when he's called to give a hope that's within him. When he's called out, and they arrest him. He knows the whooping's coming. But in confidence and boldness, look at chapter 7, verse 8. It says, uh, I'm telling you wrong. Yeah, yeah, 8 through 15. So he gets called before the Pharisees, and he begins in verse 6. But God spoke in this way. He just tells them the truth of what the Scripture says. That his descendants would dwell in a foreign land. They would bring upon them bondage and oppression for 400 years. And uh, verse 8, then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and so on. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. And he gives them the whole story of how they ended up in Egypt and how they came out, uh, verse, verse um, 17 and 18. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. He goes through it with such detail that the Pharisees have got to say, that is true. Uh, that is true, that is true, that's true. I mean, they can't deny what the guy's saying is truth. And then he brings them to the point of Christ in verse uh, 51 there. He brings them to the point of Christ, and he absolutely, we used to call it jab slap them. He just slaps a fire out of them. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resisted the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. You always resist as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Man, where's the amen? Amen. He sees him. In his glory, and it says his robe filled the temple like Isaiah. And he sees that, and he does not fear these men. He knows the word. You're not going to trip this guy up. A Jehovah's Witness is not going to come over there and confuse Stephen about who Christ is. He knows it. 
And in fact, he calls them exactly what they are. It's harsh words, you know, you go into the subdivision, you're going to do evangelism, and you go in there and start calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised people. Um, you're probably going to get about the same result, maybe hit with a stick or a rock. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, a loud voice Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He was so stable in God's word, he had no fear or shame to stand before any man and proclaim the word of God. We don't have to do that a whole lot right now, but I'm not saying that might not happen in the future. And I know in other nations, in other places, it has had to be done. As the, the Russian whoever comes to the door and finds these people worshiping Christ, and somebody has to go tell the, the guard what happened. I don't know if you ever read Tortured for Christ, Richard Wormbrand. He's the guy that began Voice of the Martyrs. But how many times, man, he was just dragged out of a fellowship of believers, and he's like, all right, the blame's all on me. And everyone, you know, while they're wrestling him down, everybody else is escaping. And then he's put in every kind of tortured. One thing that I remember is that they, they put him in a box and dropped the temperature down around zero. And right when he would about die or fall asleep from hypothermia, they warm him back up, and then they'd freeze him off again. And they did that to him for days and days. But he was confident in what he knew to be true about the word of God, and he was willing to do it. The last one is stronger leadership. In these scriptures and acts, you don't really see the deacons handling money as far as bookkeeping and that kind of thing goes. And in this fellowship, while the deacons are not truly our accountants, uh, we really have a, a tough spot um, where we're at right now. In fact, um, Sarah and, and Amy are working on getting our, our finances together for this end of the year thing we got coming up, but... Uh, but when we have financial decisions that we got to make that's going to affect the whole body, it is discussed amongst the deacons. When we have a system or a, a, a something we're thinking about, I'm, I'm, I have a, something I'm kind of working on right now, and I'm hoping that, that you all will uh, come in agreement with me. And then I talk about it with the deacons, and the deacons say, yeah, I, th I think this is what we do need to be doing. We should go forward with this. Or they could say, uh, Pastor, I, I think you're you're off track on this. Maybe we should consider this more fully. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It's all in a gentle way that we should be talking to each other, but they have to be, they're the sounding board between the pastor and the people. The people should be able to come to the deacons and say, um, the body, I keep saying the people, but the body should be able to come to them and say, look, we see this is off track. Uh, I don't think this is right. I don't think we should be um, doing this particular thing, or I think what you said in this one. They can come to the deacon, deacon say, okay, I received that. I got you. I hear what you're saying. And, uh, and then he doesn't agree or disagree with them. He hears them, brings it to the pastor, brings it to the deacon body, and they can deal with it in a gentle and peaceful way. If we can do that, we can be a set-apart group of people that is extremely unusual even in the modern church today. It's where we're supposed to be as a body of believers. The pastor sets the vision. The deacon body helps establish the vision. The body of Christ seeks to follow the vision. And in that, there's going to be disagreements and stuff. But there's a way to handle it. And the deacon is the go-between in that. He's the, he's the smoother overer. He's the peacekeeper. But he's also the leadership that helps make hard decisions easier. There's hard decisions that come, believe me. So, both situations, the function is the care of the body and the furtherance of the gospel. That's the goal. We, we're not trying to get any personal agenda pushed only the will of God. That's what we're trying to do. If we can see one another in that, that the goal 
of this fellowship is to accomplish the word of God as he's called us, this body, to do. Man, everything's going to be cool. We've got to be on the same mindset. Why are, you, why are you doing that, Jed? Man, I'm just trying to accomplish the goal of the will of God. Okay. I don't agree with it, but show me how that works. Well, this is how it works. Okay. But that's the answer. What are you trying to do? We're trying to accomplish the goal. The goal is to reach the unchurched and the unsaved. The goal is to plant churches. The goal is to make disciples. If it falls into those goals, that's what the will of God is for this fellowship. That's what it is. And somehow we got to look at each other as fellow slaves, fellow men made of dirt, and say, how does this fit into making disciples, planting churches, evangelism? How does it fit into those? If we can fit it into those, let's go do it together as a body. There's no aspect of this kind of ministry that everyone in this fellowship cannot be a part of. That's what I want you to hear. I think there's things that this fellowship can do. Um, maybe you feel like your hands are tied. Maybe you feel like you're not worthy to speak your mind or worthy to say your part. Or you think because someone is already doing it that there's no room for you to, to fit into some aspect of ministry here. And that's just not the case. I want you to feel free to serve. I want you to hold the deacons accountable. Deacons, I want you to hold your own heart accountable as the deacons hold me accountable. Um, but in that, if you see the deacon serving, don't judge his service. Come alongside and serve with him. That's the best way. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. The value of the deacon is not to be denied, though. Um, men who occupy this, this position of deacon, it's a humble position. It's not an arrogant position. He's the master slave. You're the slavest of slaves. There's more required of you, deacons, than there's more expected. How about that? There's more expected. There's a higher expectation of slavery, of perfected slavery for you. You should be the one, like it talks about in the Old Testament, that's been taken to the door and used the awl to poke the hole in your ear, that you've, you've committed yourself to be the slave for this fellowship for this time. That's you. The man that aspires to be a Stephen can count on God's help. He can count on God working in him in all power and filling of the Holy Spirit, just like he did with Stephen. But you've got to be committed. Deacons tied to the will of God are mighty in their power with God and with man. And they're going to have influence in that way. So we need to be faithful to pray for our deacons as they are in, in tight spots sometimes. We've had issues of things that we've had to deal with that were not that pleasant. Especially when it comes to things like church discipline can be very painful. Um, we don't like to talk about that. We don't want to try and take that on unless we absolutely have to. But there's times when things get out of control and you have to deal with those things. Um, I do want you to be aware, aware of the work that they do do. And I do want you to encourage them in that work. As you see them serving, begin to serve alongside them. And then the whole fellowship will prosper because of it. And remember that they're growing believers just like we are. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm, I know I'm beating up the serving thing, and I pray that as you hear these things, you're just convicted in spirit to serve. Dave, you gave a great uh, call to action there of begin to pray and see where you're to be used on mission trips. You don't want to go to Zambia, don't go to Zambia. But be active prayers. I found out so many people were praying for me and us on that trip more than I've ever really experienced before. As I got back, so many people were like, man, I was praying for you. Like I said, my one aunt that I hadn't heard from in years. 
It's like, I heard you were there and I've been praying for you. And, and, and we saw fruit because of that artillery shells of prayer that was hitting the pearly gates, man. We saw the fruit. We were blessed to see the fruit. We were blessed to see the, the work of them. So wherever God's calling you to work, there's plenty of things you can serve in here. And uh, next week, I'm going to tell you about some opportunities. I believe that is um, opportunities for service here in our fellowship. And, and, um, and maybe you can plug in on one of those. And maybe you can help develop this. I want to read that one last. I'm going to read this to you one last time. I'm going to close with this. So they laid the hands on the deacons, and in 6 verse 7 it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Not just the people, but people that were in false religions, people that had the wrong idea of who the Messiah was. Even the highest of people in the, in the society were brought to Christ. And that's going to happen, and it'll happen here if we have that same um, devotion to serving one another. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I do thank you, Lord. I thank you for the, the time that we have for the to study your word, to be here in this place, to have this um, you know, controlled temperature in here. I'm just every time in the wintertime, I'm remem remembering how cool it was in the old gym there at Homestead. I mean, at times when the heat wasn't working, it was whatever the temperature was outside, Lord, summer and winter. Just to have controlled temperature in here is, is a great gift from you, Lord. I pray for the people that are in this shell. You said that you don't need a shell or a structure to dwell in but that you can dwell in our midst. And in that, Lord, I, I pray that you would dwell fully in our midst, that people would receive you in power, that we would be more like Stephen, that we'd be so convicted in spirit, Lord, to promote your word, to tell of your gospel, and to speak of the good that you've done in our lives, that you've, you've completed us, and you're perfecting us for every good work, Lord. I pray that those that are here today would hear the word, begin to act on it, and not be hearers only, but doers of the gospel. Father, I do thank you for the men that are deacons in this fellowship, for Pete Bisbee, for Zach Miller, for Isaac Ostrander, uh, for Jimmy Baldwin. I'm missing one. Oh, yeah, William Strong. Father, I pray for them, uh, uh, particularly as they try to lead one another and lead in this fellowship and, and do the work of the servant in this fellowship, Lord. I do pray for them. I pray that they, that they be energized. I pray that they be encouraged. I pray that others would come alongside and, and thank them for the work that they accomplished in this fellowship, Lord. I pray that they would seek to do your will above all in this fellowship. And that outside of that, their goal would be only to see others brought to the saving gospel of Christ, keep peace in the fellowship, and assist wherever necessary, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing you've put on this place with these guys. I know they're, they're a work in progress, and I thank you for them. And I pray you bless them and their families. Thank you for these others that are here today, Lord. I know we're all called to be ministers of the gospel, Lord. Work in us, convict us, and allow us to do your will, Lord, with all boldness as slaves of Jesus Christ. Thank you for those that prepared the food today, the people that clean the church, that clean the bathrooms. Thank you for all the work that's done here, Lord. Thank you for your blessings on this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.